Episode number 39, Advanced Business Negotiation Strategies with Aaron Silva. Welcome to CEO to Rainmaker, a practical small business educational podcast designed to increase an owner's executive skills, raise profits, and achieve long-term sustainability. And now your host, Gene Valdez. The definition of negotiations, discussions aimed at reaching an agreement. I was introduced to the subject of negotiation in the most innocent way. Early in my business career, I would often fly on business trips. And the stuff in front of my airplane seat always had magazines and publications. And it seemed like every one of them had some stuff on an advertising piece on a book authorized by Dr. Chester Harris. And it was entitled, You Don't Get What You Deserve, You Get What You Negotiate. This title intrigued me, and as I read some of the verbiage, (laughs) I was quick to realize that my negotiation skills sucked. I hadn't realized that negotiating was a learned skill and the key to achieving favorable business outcomes, most near and dear to me. So in my working career, important negotiations were ongoing with my customers, with my employees, with landlords, bankers, investors, and others, even my wife and kids. Rainmakers possess exceptional negotiation skills, period. It's a fact. The subject matter of winning negotiation skills has advanced tremendously in the last 40 years. My guest this week is Mr. Aaron Silva, a variable expert in this field. Mr. Silva is a lifelong entrepreneur, public speaker, and the founder and owner of Paladin FS LC, LLC, which is based in Texas. He has consulted on the subject of negotiations with thousands of CEOs and senior executives across the United States. Aaron knows his stuff. So without further ado, I'd like to bring him out. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for being on the show and thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. It's a great, fun subject. Yeah, it's just amazing how much stuff that we do uh, that we're actually negotiating and we're not realizing that we're doing it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all, all the time. So let me start with uh, this question, Aaron, if I could. What are, the, what are the types of negotiations that a business owner, who are my listeners, may face at any given time? Those negotiations are are many and wide. You know, they may be negotiations. If you have um, investors in the company, you'll have negotiations certainly with your employees. Sometimes you'll have negotiations with the family of the employees. Uh, You'll have negotiations with your vendors, suppliers, certainly with your customers, sometimes with individuals within your customers. Sometimes there's political negotiations that have to happen in order to get a business transaction done. And, you know, everywhere in between. And I think there's also a, a constant uh, thread of negotiating with yourself as a, <laughs> as, a business leader, as a business leader on what to do right. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Aaron, let's do an unscientific poll. If I put 20 business owners in front of you, what is the likelihood or what's the percentage of those 20 that you would say, okay, good negotiating skills, expert, eh, needs to brush it up a little bit. How many are like in the top 20%? You know, maybe one. One. One or two. Yeah, wow. Maybe. Yeah, you have to do it a lot to, to really have advanced to that level, I think. Yeah, one or two potentially. Wow. Would you, would you think that those business owners would admit they think they're the good, good negotiators, but they're really not? I, I believe most business people, especially business leaders, have a sense that they're a good negotiator and they may be good at negotiating certain things that we talked about earlier, but they may not be an expert negotiator. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And you would agree that the better your negotiating skills are, the better your business will be because you're a more skilled CEO. Yeah. You learning how to negotiate without making it obvious to people, I think is most important. You know, sales, business development and you know, doing sales really is a form of negotiation, but it's not it's an informal form of negotiation where you're slowly driving your customer. If you're trying to sell to someone, you're, you're slowly driving your customer to an outcome that you want by, you know, trailing them with breadcrumbs or putting benefits in front of them where you ultimately manipulate them or control them to the outcome that you want. So it becomes a win for you. That's different than a negotiation where you might sit with an attorney and, uh, um, you know, negotiate a contract, which is a more formal structured negotiation. That's an awesome perspective. So right or wrong, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a negotiation expert, but I certainly have brushed up on my skills over the years. But do you believe in negotiations, Aaron, that there always is a winner and a loser, or can there be mutual winners? Well, I always approach negotiations from uh, a game theory standpoint. So you in game theory, you have a lose-lose, a lose-win, a win-lose, and a win-win. Right. And if you end up in the lose lose or the uh, if you end up in the lose lose, you didn't do a good job of negotiating. You should always there should always be an outcome where there's a clear winner and loser. And ideally, everyone wins. That's what you want. Even if you um, lose, even if you lose a negotiation, you know, sometimes you can throw a negotiation or concede a negotiation and not get what you want. But but uh, fundamentally, morally, ethically come out on top. So sometimes, sometimes you might negotiate for a subordinate outcome because that's the right thing to do. For example, if your company makes a mistake or an error and your customer wants to hold you accountable, the outcome is not going to be a win-win. It's going to be a lose-win, but you're losing for the sake of maintaining a customer or doing what's right. So gotcha. you'll see the position as opposed to, you know, always trying to get something at your customer, even in, in light of an error or mistake you might have made. Yeah, I get it. OK. How important would you say time is in a negotiation? Um, time is probably the most important thing to control in a negotiation. Really? All, all negotiate in my in my view, all negotiations when you when you look at the things that you want to control, either control the person you're negotiating against, control time, control outcomes, control the beginning or the end. Really, it's about controlling time. 
when you think about a like a uh, a common type of negotiation that all of us have been part of, say for example, you're buying a car. Yeah, all, many of us have had that experience, and it's not a very pleasant experience generally. We all know if you have a good sense of negotiating, the best time to go and buy a car is when end of the month, the end of the month, end of the season, end of the season, or when the new models come out. Right. right? That's that's a sense of controlling time. But once you walk onto the lot, a lot of us are uncomfortable with that type of negotiation because the salesperson immediately takes over time, and they're trying to do this. So, for example, you're meandering around the parking uh, lot looking at these new cars and someone always comes up and says can i help you so yes they they're immediately taking control of time because rather than give you the time to enjoy yourself and learn about the product they're going to come in and take time from you and then they go into you know what do you like what colors what are you looking for what's your budget and they start you know, hitting you with all kinds of questions, gathering intelligence about what type of buyer you are. Are you an economic buyer? Are you a buyer on, you know, what's your, on quality? Are you a buyer on some combination thereof? And before you know it, though, they're so good at controlling time, you're sitting in the lobby waiting for the <laughs> finance manager to show up because you just made a deal. And they're done that. So what yeah. would you say, Aaron, when they ask you that question, can I help you? What would you recommend as the appropriate response? Well, it all, in, in that case, so that, that type of negotiation is called a haggle. And it actually is a little hostile. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can try to smother them with kindness, uh, you know, Hey, I'm not quite ready yet. I'll swing back. You know, where are you at? I'll swing back around when I've looked a little bit more and come talk to you. Try to invite them not to come in and control time. And then you'll take the control of time back. If they don't get that, they're more of a pushy salesperson. Then you might have to say, Hey, if you want me to stick around, you got to give me some room, you know, and, and, you know, create space for there to be time. So you can, you know, do your thing. There's, it, uh, you've, you've been on the, a car lot enough. It's always a different perspective. And, you know, um, you walk another form of kind of hostile negotiation. You ever walk in a mall, an indoor mall, and down the middle of the mall, there's always these people that are selling soap that cleans your shoes or, yeah. or something to rub on your hand. And these vendors are, you know, reaching out, almost lunging at you sometimes to say, hey, let me put this on your hand. Not only are they trying to control time, but they're trying to control you physically. They're very well trained in that if they can stop you in time and control time, and then they can physically get you to sit down or to touch your hand or to pull your arm next to them and they can start applying things that commits you to being with them, they're getting more and more control of you and they're they're thereby getting more control of the negotiation. But that's more of a haggle, you know, like a consumer product negotiation, like a car. You You won't do that very much in business, but those are just kind of simple examples. I got it. So I guess since the majority of business owners are not highly skilled in negotiations, if they said, okay, I want to be better at this, how would you prepare for negotiations to the go to the bargaining table? What is your recommendation? Well, some people I think are just not suited for it. Over the years, uh, we've had uh, people that have worked here that we call them business analysts and negotiators, and they just weren't good at it. And at some point, they realized they weren't good at it. And usually it came down to their ability to control their 
own emotions and be prepared for conflict because a negotiation is a conflict. And if you're the type of person that avoids conflict, like my wife, or, uh, you know, or you want, you seek out conflict too much, you might yeah. not be a good negotiator because um, preparing for negotiation is really being prepared to meet in a neutral place where neither of you are controlling each other physically, you know, or necessarily controlling time. Sometimes you do negotiation in your office. Sometimes you go to someone's office. They'll call that home field advantage, these types of things. But um, preparing to negotiate, to be more specific about the answer, I always try to understand what do I want? You know, what am I willing, what do I want? What am I willing to fight for? What am I willing to concede? Are there things that I can put into the negotiation I don't really want, but I want my opponent to believe that I want so that when I trade them away, they think they're getting something when really I'm giving them something I'm not necessarily interested in. Gotcha. So, you, you know, you, you know, where, you know, what you kind of pre-plan your trades a little bit. We formally develop when we negotiate a, a contract on behalf of one of our customers, these are multi-million dollar technology contracts, multi-year contracts, very big, very sophisticated two-inch thick contracts. We know in those agreements that there's maybe 30 areas that are negotiable. And based on the strategy of the customer that we're negotiating on their behalf, we pre-identify of those 30 things, which of them we don't care about, which yeah. of them we really care about. Gotcha. And of the ones that we don't care about, which is what are we willing to give away to get, you know, what do you want to give to get that type of thing? So I, gotcha. I think having that sort of stuff mentally prepared is really important. That makes a lot of sense. So we often hear the term, at least laymen like me in negotiation space, I'm going to walk away. When do you think it's, should you ever walk away from the bargaining table, if ever? Oh, you should, for sure. And, and what what it would be the environment or where in which direction is the negotiation going where you say, you know what, I'm just going to walk away? Yeah. Well, uh, again, if you prepare in advance, knowing the thing that you want, and you can't get enough of those things that you want for the outcome to be, to be materially satisfying to you, you just have to walk away. Because otherwise, it becomes a lose-win. It always has to be a win. You have to be in the win call. You, it really becomes comes a math. You know, what are you willing to live with? If you walk away with not getting these things, are you still going to be satisfied or are you going to feel like you conceded? Another reason to walk away is I can't give something to my opponent to satisfy them so they won't walk away. Gotcha. Right? Because you, you have to be willing to give something over to the other side or to the other parties if there's a if it's a multi-party thing. So it's not only satisfying your needs and knowing what those limitations are, but perhaps even if you get everything you want, you're still not able to satisfy what um, your opponents want. And gotcha. that's not good. That's not going to work. And you want to prevent them from walking away. Cause if anyone walks away, it's a failed negotiation, at least for the moment. Right. Well, I think most people and myself in my early ages viewed negotiation as, okay, let's split the difference. And that was it. I just negotiated. We split the difference. Yeah. What's your comment on that? Should you split the difference? No, 
No, that's not a negotiation. Is that even negotiating? That's not negotiating. That's that's a kind of mutual concession. You know, that's when both parties uh, either don't have the sophistication to both get what they want, or they don't think there's an outcome that they'll necessarily be happy with, so they just concede. And they both give in. It's like a mutual surrender. Let's just split the difference. If you're only negotiating on one thing, then it's hard to have something to balance out what you're not getting. So if you're only negotiating on price, this usually this many times can end. And let's just split the difference. You ever watch the Pawn Stars? Yeah. 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 Great, great um, program. And, you know, absolute masterclass at fundamental negotiating. What Rick Harrison does in almost every single uh, encounter that he has, he cleverly finds out a way, calculates a way to get his customer negotiating against themselves before he even starts to negotiate. And if you can do that and get them to negotiate against themselves, then the outcome can't possibly be that you have to split the difference because you've already you know, gained in the negotiation, you're always going to have that upper hand. So he says, um, someone comes in and says, I want to sell this, uh, you know, this mouse. And it's a special Apple mouse from the first Apple Mac, you know, computer. And wow, it's impressive. And he, you know, he doesn't try to be too excited about it. And he says, um, you know, he tells a history about it, shows his knowledge, his expertise, which gives a lot of confidence to the seller that he's selling to the right person. And then he says, well, what do you want for it? And the person says $100. They just negotiated against themselves when they did that. What they should right. have said was, hey, Rick, what are you going to give me for it? Yes. You know, right. They set he's, the limit, right? Yeah, he, exactly. They set the limit. So they say 100 bucks. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. What's your best price? And most of these people negotiate against themselves a second time. They'll say, <laughs> okay, all right, $75. And not, so not until that he's taken them down two rungs does he actually start to negotiate. So once he has created that ante or forced them to ante to him, splitting the difference at the end of the transaction is meaningless because he's already won. Yeah, got so, it. So, so when they, then they haggle down, you know, I'll give you 50, I'll give you 60, I'll give you 6250. And he said, you know, we'll split the difference of 6250. He's already won because he got that person to come $25 off of their price. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, that type of thing. So in, when you, if you're splitting the difference for the purpose of ending a transaction or ending a negotiation, because you've already got what you want, that's fine. But if you can't arrive at a price or you can't arrive at a mutual, you know, win and you just say split the difference i think you're just giving up gotcha i have a lot of my clients say well you know what i don't like to negotiate against people what do i do what would you say aaron if someone makes that that find claim someone find someone else to negotiate for you who else are you negotiate against <laughs> you can, you're only negotiating against people right yeah. uh, find someone to negotiate that's not a lawyer <laughs> lawyers are really lawyers are actually not very good negotiators at all and a lot of people will hire their lawyer to negotiate and they think they're good negotiators but they're not and the reason they're not is because lawyers are paid not paid for outcomes are paid for process that's why they charge by the hour they really have no interest 
um, and no personal interest in an outcome. They might have a fiduciary interest in an outcome because they're representing you, but that does not trump their personal interest in taking as long as it needs to take to have a negotiation go back and forth for as many hours as they can bill. I know that sounds that makes lawyers sound unethical, and I would I hope I wouldn't be stretching too much there, but generally, lawyers are not good negotiators. You know, if you don't want to negotiate, hire someone in your company that has the skills to negotiate, doesn't want to avoid conflict, or teach them, or yeah. teach them to negotiate. You, if you don't like to negotiate, you might not even be able to teach them because how could you teach yeah. them if you don't like to negotiate with people? Right, right. All right. So we're getting close to uh, our allotted time here, but I want to ask you this question. So often in a negotiation, emotions rise. Is emotions, in your opinion, good in a negotiation or bad? Um, I think they're more positive than they are negative. If you like, you know, we're social beings and there's so much about who we are. You know, during the pandemic, we couldn't see each other and we weren't in, you know, we weren't gathering and assembling like we do as, as Americans, as humans. And that created, you know, big disconnects and everyone went to social media and we did, you know, it, it didn't work out. If you can negotiate in person, I think it's, you know, ideal because they can see your body language. There's other ways you're communicating than just simply sitting there, you know, you're not sitting there like a robot negotiating. They can tell. When you're vested in things, it's like poker, right? I mean, poker yeah. is really a negotiation against the blind. So emotions can play into something. So when you think of those things, if you prepared for the negotiation and you had a, a set of things that you absolutely wanted and you had a set of things that you were willing to concede, I'm going to be more emotional toward those things I want. And that sometimes is good to communicate to the other person. So but aren't you tipping off the... Aren't you tipping off your opponent that this is meaningful for them, for you? Well, I think I think it's fine that they know what you want at the, you know, you can still open a negotiation by saying, hey, what I want at the end of the day is, you know, to, to pay less and get more. You can show that you're emotional about the economic side of that, pay less. It doesn't mean you're tipping them off that they can use it against you because, Really, it may be better that they know that's what you want. So gotcha. if they know that you really, if you're really hanging your hat on the economic side of the transaction, then maybe there's going to be some wiggle room on the other side of the transaction. So uh, those types of emotions, I think, are good. Obviously, there's a type of emotion you can't have in a professional situation, which is you know, you're emotional and you're not, you know, you're not logical anymore, or you, you know, you you cry or turn colors. You know, these types of things aren't the types of emotions I'm talking about. You know, you shouldn't bring those into a negotiation. And if you feel like you're getting a negotiation, you should just stop, take a breath. This is why lawyers, I guess, there is one negotiation that unfortunately we have to use lawyers for, which is, um, you know, mediating divorces and stuff, because that's a highly emotional yes. uh, negotiation. Yeah. And, you know, two, two spouses couldn't possibly do it. It's very rare they can do it without someone in the middle. You may say lawyers feed on that or not, but so emotions could be good if you use them for the purpose uh, that you to help you communicate what's important to you in a negotiation, but not that you're losing composure and that you're not going to be, you know, someone that they can depend on and negotiate on and be, you know, consistent, I guess. Yeah. Professional. Well, this is fascinating stuff here. And I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. I really could. I just, it's, it's just so 
unique. And I don't know. I just, I love to see good negotiators in action. I go, I God, I wish I was good as that guy. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. But if any of my listeners wanted to get a hold of you with a more specific question, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Aaron? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me, A Silva, A S I L V A, at paladin fs.com. So it's P A L A D as in dog, I N, paladin hyphen fs as in fun stuff.com. Okay, great. So, Aaron, thanks again. I hope to speak to you soon. That's a wrap. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So that's a wrap, listeners. You were exposed to a myriad of ways on how to improve your negotiation skills. There is plenty of information out there. Plenty of training, plenty of books, plenty of white papers. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff out there that for those inclined and want to improve their negotiation skills, it's available. Whichever option you take, take it and do it as soon as possible. If you become an excellent negotiator, your business will do much better. I guarantee it. I guess I'm trying to negotiate with you now. But anyway, as always, see you next Monday morning. I am out. Bye-bye. This has been CEO to Rainmaker with Gene Valdez. To find out more, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you have questions, email the show. Find that link and others in the show notes. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.